BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. We're going to talk a lot about vaccines today. And uh, I guess some of it is going to be the, you know, inevitably there's, uh, there is, there's going to be a lot of, uh, you know, snafus and stuff like that in the rollout of a vaccine. I mean, I don't think, I, I, I don't think any time, maybe in history ever, there's been a case where there's a new vaccine the effort is to get everybody in the country inoculated as soon as possible. And it's a case where the the disease in question is one that is like totally upended the world. And, you know, because there have been new vaccines. There's chickenpox vaccine, what, 20 years ago. There's a Gardasil uh, there's various different stuff, but those are all things that like, you know, there was no like chicken pox lockdown. Um, and so, so it's, it is a huge logistical thing, not to mention the fact that it's the, you know, the entire world. Um, so, uh, we're going to talk about that. We may also talk about, or I'll, I'll I mean, I've, I've been looking into, there's been uh, a kind of a flurry of news reports and, and concern and some panic about this new COVID uh, variant in the UK. It's sort of it's sort of getting labeled as being in the UK, but it's not even clear it started in the UK. It may have started in like, what is it, Denmark or, or the Netherlands or something like that. And it's also in South Africa. Uh, so we're going to talk about that. Um, and before we do, uh, let me uh, say a quick word from our sponsor, Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. There are two kinds of cold brew drinkers out there, fair weather friends who switch to hot coffee when the temperature dips and everyone else. With 36 servings per bag, Grady's reusable all-in-one cold brew kit gives you the space to explore your coffee preferences with less than a buck a cup or four four less than a buck a cup. Brew it hot on frigid mornings or spike it over ice for a chilly winter cocktail. Our velvety smooth coffee concentrate is brewed strong for every season. Ride out the winter by quarantining with Grady's and treat yourself to delicious gourmet coffee without stepping outside. Ready to give it a swirl? Get 25% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. That's Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. So, uh, going to ask what's up to my two uh, co-hosts, Dave and Kate. We also have uh, Josh Kovetsky, who's joining us for today's episode. So, what is up, people? That's right. Yes. Vaccine. So Josh K, you've been doing a lot of reporting, some of it with Kate, um, about the rollout of the vaccine. We saw the first doses of the Moderna vaccine arrive, I guess, yesterday to healthcare facilities, the second COVID shot on the market now. Just before we came on, Dr. Anthony Fauci got his COVID vaccine. I guess he got the Moderna one as opposed to the Pfizer one. Not sure if there's any... um, I feel, like, feel like feel like a lot of the sort of the celebs got the Moderna one yesterday too, right? Was there was weren't there some other administration people or maybe some? Yeah, maybe Biden got that one too. I think so. Possible. Yeah. yeah. Is is that just they're trying to do kind of proof of concepts for both both flavors kind of thing, Josh? Yeah, I think that's it. And you know, due to how the vaccines are stored, the Moderna one is the one that's going to be going out to like rural areas and also like kind of poorer communities because. It needs to be able to go to places where you can just store it with a normal refrigerator. You don't need like the ultra kind of cold, high tech storage that the Pfizer one requires. Um, so I think that there's been some talk that it makes sense from a different sort of like uh, PR standpoint to have the Moderna one be the one that uh, all, like, more of the public officials get. Yeah. So just to orient our listeners a little bit, last week we had reports come out that I think more than a dozen states had seen their allocation of vaccine doses slashed, you know, not as many as expected to be shipped out. Meanwhile, we had Pfizer say there's like millions of doses on the shelf waiting at the warehouse, waiting to be sent out. 
Um, a bit of confusion and kind of back and forth there. Over the weekend, General, General Gustav Perna, who's the chief operating officer of Operation Warp Speed, the Pentagon-led kind of vaccine effort, apologized uh, for kind of a miscommunication, took responsibility for the, the snafu, and uh, I guess pledged that things would kind of go smoother going forward. So, Josh K., tell us kind of where things stand now, having kind of, I don't know, set the stage for the first, I don't know, week of the rollout, but um, have any of those issues been fixed yet? Are we still kind of in the throes of that, the first kind of round of deliveries and, you know, some some kind of logistical issues uh, hampering things at the, at the outset, at least? So I think with the Perna thing, it's still kind of unclear what the issue was. Um, just to give listeners a sense, a sort of reminder, um, last week, uh, a little bit more than a dozen states reported that their shipments of vaccine were being cut. Um, it was their shipments for the second week. Um, and then the administration sort of blamed it on Pfizer for manufacturing issues. And then Pfizer went out and released this statement saying that, uh, you know, it just had millions of doses of vaccine sitting on its shelves waiting for orders to be shipped. Uh, so this is, it suggested that either there was a big logistical problem or the Trump administration, as I think Scott Gottlieb, the former FDA commissioner, put it, that the Trump administration was like throttling the uh, distribution of the vaccine for who knows why. Um, so Perna came out over the weekend and said, no, like it turns out that uh, this was a miscommunication, that he gave the states a um, – kind of list of projected orders, and then the states um, were then given the amount that they were actually going to receive, that the first number, the projected order, was taken seriously for planning purposes, that that was the miscommunication. But it didn't really address why Pfizer put out that statement, saying that there were millions of doses just kind of lying around waiting for distribution. Um, And I think that that might preview what we can expect for the next few months which is that there could end up being a bottleneck in how many people can and how much vaccine can be distributed to the states at any one time and how many people can be vaccinated, um, you know, what the, what the capacity is both to distribute and the capacity is to administer the vaccine to people's arms. Um, that, I think, is related to lack of funding at the state level, the fact that people who are actually injecting the shots are also overseeing the COVID response at the local level. Um, and just the fact that, like, as Josh Marshall pointed out earlier, this is like one of the most complicated things uh, in vaccination that the country's ever going to do or ever has done. If there's logistic, I would expect the logistical problems to be sort of after the federal government, or I guess it's the military, kind of drops it off at the state location and then getting it from there out to people's arms. Like, I would think that actually, you know, transporting it from you know, this military operation they have to transport it from, you know, Pfizer to the states, that I would expect to go relatively smoothly. It's everything that happens from then. But but what you're describing, Josh, makes it sound like that there's that there's some major logjam in that part of the process. Is that, is that right? Well, that's what was so shocking about the incident last week. Um, and again, I mean, it's still not clear totally what happened. Perna said that there was nothing, there was no problem that went to their distribution capacity, that the only problem was um, due to the states having kind of inflated, an inflated expectation of what they were to receive. Um, Perna went and kind of blamed the FDA for uh, the need to authorize certain raw materials and certain components of the vaccine before it could be shipped. Um, but I think the answer, Josh, is that it's really just, at this point, it's still not clear whether the issue there was what Perna described, an FDA issue, which I note is still, in a sense, a distributional logistical problem, um, or if it's something that goes kind of more towards the core of what they're doing, which is, um, you know, having FedEx and UPS and McKesson just ship these vaccines all around the country. I, I guess it's possible that, that I mean, for, for very good reasons, we're sort of, we're, we're apt to uh, blame it on the Trump administration's incompetence, but I guess it's possible that Pfizer was just you know, kind of being defensive and and covering themselves, saying they had tons of, you know, tons of stuff on 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 the shelves that no one had ordered or no one had done a requisition for. I mean, because if that's the case, that really is definitionally a a supply chain problem. But maybe that just wasn't true, or it was exaggerated. Like you know, they produced twenty million shots by the end of the year, and the Trump administration is doing a cadence of like five million a week. I mean, there are different ways I think you could interpret it. Um, right. 
but the bottom line was that like there's a lot of tension between i mean it, it clearly like there's tension between pfizer and the trump administration for a lot of different reasons and that boiled right. over in a really public way and pfizer in a lot of ways i think kind of won right 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 kate i wanted to um to bring you in on a story that you and, and Josh wrote yesterday, I want to say, which is kind of looking at the Trump administration's plan for the vaccine distribution. And I think that only goes kind of for the first round of the first shots, I want to say, right, like a six week kind of time frame. And Dems are kind of Democrats are kind of bracing themselves for, you know, the blame to kind of go to the Biden administration that, oh, the vaccine rollout isn't going as smooth as people thought, but it's because maybe there wasn't as much kind of foreplanning um, you know, from the Trump administration on the way out. Can you tell us about that? Kind of what, um, you know, what the deal is there and what, what Democrats are kind of bracing for in a sense? Yeah, so Josh and I have kind of been focused on this political ploy that you can see happening in a month or two, which is that if the vaccine rollout does end up being, you know, quite botched, which doesn't seem beyond the limits of the imagination, given what Josh mentioned about the lack of state and federal funding, the fact that the Trump administration has planned only for this first wave of vaccinations, which are typically in the easiest to vaccinate spots, you know, being healthcare workers, um, you know, people in the government. And so they really haven't at all made a plan for getting the rest of us vaccinated, which is the big lift here, which means that the Biden administration is going to be coming on, you know, inheriting no kind of plan from the the previous administration, and will be doing the heaviest lift of the distribution. Um, and I don't think it's hard to imagine Republicans kind of turning this into a, you know, an early first term embarrassment for the Biden administration. You know, it's like, Trump had Operation Warp Speed. He got the vaccine produced, and then the Biden administration couldn't even get it into people's arms. What a disgrace. When the reality of it is, through their combination of indifference and, in some cases, malice, the Trump administration has, like they've handled the whole pandemic, planned out nearly nothing. There's no transparency. You know, that kind of goes to the issue you two were talking about, which is it's, and the Trump administration is a constant, you know, blame game and lying and people lie to cover up how much they don't know. And so that whole mess is just being dropped into the Biden administration's lap. Um, And there are just some parts of this that Josh and I have been reporting on that the administration hasn't even touched, you know, like the fact that given how decimated certain communities have been by the pandemic, we're obviously going to need to prioritize them in allocation, especially because those communities um, you know, tend to be lower income and have less access to health care to begin with. So they're obviously going to need, you know, tailored public messaging, tailored um, allocation processes to make sure they don't get skipped over again when they're the ones who need the help the most. And that's something the Trump administration has really created no plan for or even put any attention on. Um, and that kind of dovetails into the public messaging issue in general, which is that, you know, Trump has spent his whole this whole time downplaying the pandemic because he thought it would hurt his reelection chances. And you can really draw a direct line from that to the fact that Republicans are consistently polling um, as a group who has a lot of vaccine hesitancy, who are most likely not to trust it even after scientists deem it safe. And that's a problem for everyone because for a vaccine to work well, you need a lot of people to get it. Um, so yeah, it's the, it's the logistical, it's the messaging, you know, all this stuff that the Trump administration has just so thoroughly messed up is going to be dumped into the Biden administration's lap. And I just don't think we can really trust Republicans to be good faith about that and to be like, well, he inherited this mess when it's so much easier to say, look what a bad president he is. Look what a bad job this administration is doing um, and kind of give Trump all the credit like, you know, you do with a, a toddler. Do, do we here, here's a question I have. Um the I think it was uh, I'm probably mispronouncing or misremembering his Vivek Murthy, who's the, I guess going to be the Surgeon General again under Biden, or at least nominated to be, saying yesterday that that for people who are you know non high risk sort of general population, you should be thinking about late summer, early fall for when you'll get vaccinated. So my question is, do we have a sense uh, of parallels you know around the country, uh, you know what? 
you know, what is a reasonable timeline? Because I noticed, just because I follow the Israeli press, they started yesterday vaccinating people over 60. Now, 60 is, again, in, in, the, in the risk profile, fairly young, right? This isn't, you know, we're not talking about uh, assisted living facilities or people over 75. 60 is, is you know, that, that is a pretty uh, broad swath of the, po- of the population. Now, Israel is a very small country. It's, ge- it's, it's both a small population. It's geographically very small. So, um, you know, it may be, it, it may just be easier in a, in a small, uh, non-federal uh, government like that. But, if it is uh, if it is summer or early fall for most of us, how does that compare to what it looks like it's going to be in Europe or other other countries? Like, is it is that reasonable? Is it close to reasonable? What what is a reasonable expectation? I think part of it. I mean, as Kate was saying, kind of depends on prioritization. Um, I mean, there's a lot of different t- debate around this, but like it. It's, it's going to take like probably around six weeks, right, to vaccinate this first wave of people who are frontline healthcare workers and then long-term care facility um, residents and staff, right? So then after you, th- then the question is what happens, what do you do after that? Um, it, it's hard to say. Part of the problem with the U.S. is that we just don't have, a, is that nothing is centralized because everything is so federated. Um, it, it, you know, you could have like a really fast response in New York City. We could be all, you know, those of us who live in New York getting vaccinated even if we're not a high risk if we're young by june but if you live in nebraska or you live in like arkansas you could be waiting until like december D- depending on just like the, the state of your local public health department um not to single out arkansas or single out new york um so i i, I think josh the answer is less that like we're going to be slower than other countries i think it's more that like it's just going to be very intense the response is going to be intensely regional in terms of I, right. how quickly you can, you can get the vaccine and that's going to create a really bizarre set of problems um, in which, you know, New York City could be mostly vaccinated. But if you want to drive to South Carolina or something or, you know, Virginia or even Ohio, I don't know, wherever, Pennsylvania, um, it's, you know, that could still sort of be like a COVID zone where fewer people are vaccinated and the response is just much slower. I guess one one of the things that occurs to me, and it's one of the sort of the ironies of this situation, is that you know, there's been all, we are simultaneously going to have a situation where tens of millions, maybe hundreds of millions of people in the United States are desperate to get their vaccine. You know, people are are, are line jumping, uh, they're angry, there's snafus, all this kind of stuff. And at the same time, you've got a, a significant chunk of the population that has to be talked into getting it. And some of that, you know, some cases it's because they, you know, they're they're listening to infowars, they're hearing conspiracy theories, or it's people who come from communities which which historically have low trust in the medical profession, low trust in the government. Uh, you have uh, broad swaths of the, you know, of, of the population that is just busy, right? You know, kind of that, which is just a normal part of 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 public health. So you've got both of these things going on at at one time and something that I was actually I actually reached out to Josh about yesterday uh offline um or you know not you know just in our in our Slack channel is that I had heard from a few uh elderly friends and relatives and by elderly you know people not in assisted living facilities but people who are over 70 even over 80 years old Wondering basically, is there something I'm supposed to be doing? Like, am I supposed to have signed up somewhere? It, you know, or and and it's that it's that there there's obviously everybody or or you know most of the population really wants to get this vaccine for all the obvious reasons, and that is even more acute for elderly people since they are at such high risk. And in the great majority of cases, those people have been living as shut-ins for a year, so they really really want it. But separate from that, you have this issue of you're sitting there, you're seeing, ah, you know, Marco Rubio's getting his vaccine. And and let me say this, everybody in Congress should get it. It's a continuity of government issue. It is a, it's part of convincing everybody. So I'm not criticizing the fact that they got it. But you see people getting it. You see it, you know, you see a nurse on TV getting it. And people are thinking, wait, I, am I going to, you know, 
was there something I was supposed to do and then I could get it next week and and I didn't, so I'm not going to get it? There's just this uncertainty that people have. And what I was telling people, and Josh was helpful to basically confirm the outlines of this, is that unless you are in an assisted living facility or a healthcare worker or in a tiny, tiny slice of people who are, you know, continuity of government-ish uh, uh, people, nothing to worry about until probably at least the end of January. It's just not happening. It's not a matter of like you need to kind of, you know, be, be speed dialing your doctor or anything like that. It's just not happening. So don't, so sit tight until then. And I guess the unfortunate part is, and what Josh mentioned to me in this conversation we had, is, you know, there's not going to be a national database where you call up, you know, 1-800-VACCINE and say, all right, I'm ready, you know, tell me, tell me where to go. And part of that's because it may not even be legal to have a national vaccine database in this country, which is a whole other kind of screwed up, stupid thing. Uh, but so the, the, the thing I wanted to say is, first of all, if you're over 65, don't think there's something that you don't know or there's something that you're going to find out you didn't do. There's nothing to do right now unless you are have some very, very specific uh, medic, but even even the people with like uh, pre-existing conditions, it's not for them yet. It's only if you're in an assisted living facility right now. So uh, uh, hang tight. You don't have to. You don't have to do anything right now. Uh, maybe revisit that in, I guess, the beginning of February, something like that. That's my little PSA. Yeah, that's helpful. Um, I don't know, Josh, Kay, and Kate, if you had seen this uh, NBC report this morning about the Biden administration, kind of mulling over using the D Defense Production Act to ramp up vaccine, I guess, production or distribution. Do you have a sense of what, I don't know, levers of the government can help in that sense? Is it in just funding to get it out to the states and, you know, out to patients? Or is it kind of on the actual production of the vaccine side? Do you have any sense of that yet? So this is an issue, again, that's arisen with Pfizer, which is that um, to produce this, these vaccines, you need a lot of raw materials, some of which are pretty rare, others of which aren't really raw. They require a lot of like effort to produce. Um, and so Pfizer, you know, back in, I think it was late November, early December, uh, they, they announced that they had to cut their initial um, forecast of how much vaccine they'd be able to produce because they weren't able to get enough raw materials in, in time for their supply chain to you know keep the vaccines being made. Um, so what this is kind of intersected with is a report from a week or two ago that the Trump administration passed on exercising an option in its contract with Pfizer, which would have allowed it to procure more vaccine um, in, like ahead of the EU. So now we're kind of at the back of the line. I think you know, listeners are probably familiar with that story. What that's turned into, though, is a potential exchange where the Trump administration could um, invoke the DPA to force more factories to produce these raw materials uh, for Pfizer, which would then give the U.S. more vaccines sooner. Um, and what that report in NBC said today was basically that the Biden administration was considering activating the DPA for vaccine raw materials. It seems like this issue probably isn't going to be contained only to Pfizer. You know, these supply chains are huge. They're complicated. There's just like a limited quantity, um, particularly the mRNA ones of the materials that are out there and that can be produced at any given time. Um, and, and, that, and that the Biden administration was considering using the DPA more interestingly, I think, for administration, which also suggests that they might be able to, you know, maybe get, get some companies in the mix and have them help out on the actual effort injecting the vaccine into people's arms. Um, it, it's not clear. You know, one of the big mysteries of the Trump administration's response, and maybe this isn't a mystery, is just that, for th you know, there's still PPE shortages. And that was something that early on people were cl saying, like clamoring, you know, saying, use the DPA. Like, I mean, please, like, force companies to just start producing uh, masks and sanitary gowns. Um, and that just it was never really used widely. It was used for ventilators, but not for PPE. Uh, and for whatever reason, they've been hesitant to use it for vaccine production as well. Right. I remember that. It was sort of Trump. It was a, the the Defense Production Act kind of centered around Trump bullying GE or something, right? Or trying to get kind of a favorable headline about, I don't know, bending business to his will or something like that. Well, I here, here's a question I have. It, it, okay, so it's, it sounds, and, and this is not new, we've known this, that, that the... And, the Pfizer vaccine is the the most delicate, needs this kind of deep, deep freeze. The Moderna vaccine basically needs to be refrigerated, 
but um, as I understand it, you know, kind of conventional refrigeration. So not, you know, not that difficult logistics technology wise. And then my understanding is this that what there's a Johnson and Johnson one, and we don't know yet whether that you know even the effectiveness hasn't been um, uh, determined yet. <clears throat> but that one, I guess, what what is it? It only needs one dose, maybe, and it's even. I guess it's a it's a different uh, vaccination strategy, and it maybe is even more robust. So here's my question: if if so, now we know the the Moderna. And Pfizer vaccines are pretty much comparable efficacy, maybe like, you know, one percentage point off, but pretty much the same. Um, They're both approved. Why wouldn't everything be pushed towards the Moderna uh, supply chain and production process since it's it's easier to move around? Now, that doesn't mean you sort of stiff Pfizer. I mean, sort of the whole... The whole point of this process, uh, the, the best thing about Operation Warp Speed is you tell the companies, you go full speed ahead. We're not going to let you lose money. So we don't want that to be an excuse. So fine, you know, pay them all. You need to pay them to make them whole. But why wouldn't we sort of push everything in the Moderna direction? I assume there's a good reason why. But what's what's the what's the what are the issues there? That's a good question. Um, one, I think, theme that's come out of Operation Warp Speed is the search for a really cheap one-shot vaccine. Um, so the Moderna and Pfizer shots are expensive. And it's not Johnson Johnson, but it's AstraZeneca, the one that's okay. uh, producing a... Well, I, 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 Please double check me on that, but I, I'm pretty sure it's AstraZeneca that's that's producing another, co- another one of the companies, though. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> they, they, they basically, that's producing a cheap shot that's meant to be like uh, available not just for the U.S. but really like globally. They could like and just kind of eradicate the virus if you really were. I mean, in theory, that that's not a guaranteed thing. But um, so I think that's part of it that there's a desire to have a cheap vaccine that is versatile and can be kind of deployed all uh, all over the world. Um, I think part of it is that that would involve, from Operation Warp Speed's perspective, just kind of retooling what they've been doing. Um, right. You know, you don't know how effective these vaccines are until they are approved, and we've only got we only got the data on these like a month ago. Um, right. And part of the way it worked was that they all all these uh, companies were paid not only to produce the vaccines, but or develop them, but also to set up their supply chains starting in March. Right. Um, right. So, right. you know, that's like a month's long, maybe year long endeavor to build a supply chain for something as complicated as this. So, like, right. it, uh, it, it's it, they can do things like they're discussing with Pfizer, which is use the DPA and use these authorities to expand the production lines that are already existing. But the capacity only goes so far. Um, so, you know, you, you could definitely kind of, I think, squeeze more doses out of Moderna. And the Trump administration has kind of done that. They, they purchased another hundred million a week or two ago. But the idea of like, uh, I think, just like kind of radically expanding what they can do is probably... I, I, it, it seems like from the outside, it would be pretty hard to do at, at this stage. One, one more question uh, about that. Um, you know, the U.S. is a, what is it, 5% of the global population or something like that. COVID, a lot of parts of the world. How much, now, I, I don't even have a sense, uh, you know, Pfizer and Moderna, we're talking about for the U.S., um, how is how is the supply, both the supply chain and just the absolute production capacity for these vaccines how is the demands of other countries fitting into this mix for Pfizer and Moderna and I don't even know are other like do they have a whole other vaccine they are either using now or going to be using in China and Russia you know kind of Walk us through that. How do, how does the global demand fit into these questions? So that's interesting. The Chinese do have a vaccine that um, underwent independent tests in like the United Arab Emirates, uh, which like who knows how you know kind of accurate or rigorous those were, but it was supposedly found to have been like um, fairly effective. I don't remember the exact number. Uh, but I think the giveaway there was that the Chinese vac- vaccinated their own like people at the top of the Politburo um, at some point with it before you know Pfizer or Moderna or any of these things were out there. So that suggests that they're that's like something. Um, the Russian one I think was found to like basically not work. Um, <laughs> but um, in terms of like how, how it works globally, there's an interesting question in the U.S. versus the EU. 
um, partly because they're now ahead of us in line for like a block of the orders uh, for the Pfizer vaccine. Uh, but that's not so with Moderna because because Pfizer only took money from Operation Warp Speed insofar as the U.S. government was purchasing the vaccine. They didn't take any development money earlier on. So they are basically free to contract with, who, with whoever they want, um, which right. is why we're kind of back in the back of the line. But with Moderna, that's not the case. Um, they, agreed to, they, they agreed to stipulations that mean that uh, the U.S. gets priority in a lot of their contracts. Um, and so, so we know, kind of own the Moderna vaccine, maybe yeah. not literally, but but it's ours. We can sort of be at the top of the line and, and get as much as we want before. Yeah. Here's And again, I'm sorry for I'm kind of hogging the time with 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 my questions. But given given that we are remain in a global crisis. Um, so let's let's start with Pfizer. Presumably. Uh, there are, um, you know, the equivalent of blueprints for this vaccine, right, that Pfizer takes and they take it to the factories and they fry the stuff up. Um, Given the need for this stuff, I would think in other countries, why, now, set aside the money part of it, uh, like let's say with Russia, let's say their vaccine was a total failure, not a surprise, not not a, I have all, I have, issues with Russia that long predate anything that's happened in the last decade. Um, but why wouldn't they say, hey, we'll give you some money, but you got to give us the blueprints. You know, we have people dying right and left. Is, is that kind of, how is this being approached with setting aside licensing the intellectual property, but why should the world be have to wait for Pfizer's uh, you know, um, industrial capacity to produce this thing when they have, they have, they know how to create something that is effective. How, how's that? That's, working? A, that's a good question. And I mean, I've seen people on Twitter sort of saying, why don't we just, why, isn't, why can't the U.S. government just like print like a platinum coin or mint a platinum coin, give it to P- Pfizer or whatever, say, here's a trillion dollars. And in exchange, the uh, blueprints for the vaccine are like public domain. Um, and I, I, I don't really have an answer for that. Um, yeah, uh, because I mean, I mean, the companies do stand to make quite a lot of money off of this, but it, it doesn't seem like a sufficient reason, just because the public interest here is just so huge. Right, and 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 even so, you could. You, it's not like you can't make it worth their while. I mean, maybe yeah. not a trillion dollars, but I mean, if you if you it would, it certainly would not be difficult for. I mean, again, let's just take Russia as the example, to say okay. You know, over the next two years, Pfizer could make X by, you know, selling sufficient vaccines to the Russian government for the Russian population, you know, all the ins and outs of, you know, duplicates and double and all that kind of stuff. It's X dollars. Certainly, one could say, okay, you know, X dollars, we are going to, you know, we'll shave off 10% because you don't have to handle, you know, you don't have to deal with the hassle. Um, and we'll pay you that money and you give us the blueprints and we are, you know, we get the concession within Russia. So, um, yeah. you know, look, we, we have a, uh, I mean, it would sort of be like, we, a, like a generic yeah. Pfizer vaccine, yeah. right? Like, well, or, but, but again, it, with, with generics, you don't have to pay, you don't have to pay the rights holder. We're basically saying <laughs> you, you pay them. Right. Um, and, and I don't know, uh, it, I, I suppose I'm sure there are there are significant logistics issues, not logistics, but production issues. You know, you can't, I'm sure you can't just produce this in anything that happens to be called a factory, right? You probably, I mean, that is, that I assume is, is probably what makes this a, you know, a semi-academic discussion that, that, you know, fine, you have the blueprints, but, you know, maybe there are only 10 factories in the world right. that are equipped to, to do this kind of stuff. But you can you really can bracket the money issue. You know, look, we 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 operate in a in a for-profit medical universe. We're not going to change that today, right? It kind of it is what it is. They made it. They get to make a lot of money. But you can pay the money and just you know, make more places to produce it. And I I'm just curious to find out how much of that is just a kind of um inertia that the company that made it gets to produce it versus um there's no kind of international authority that kind of can can 
you know, cut these deals or quite possibly, you know, maybe there's only six factories in the world that can do this and, and, and Pfizer owns four of them. And that's just, you know, that's the issue. I don't know. One of the pieces that's made reporting on this difficult is that um, a lot of the supply chain information is proprietary, like trade, or they're like basically trade secrets uh, from Pfizer. So, you know, this discussion earlier that we were having of like why, um, you know, Pfizer not being able to get enough raw materials to meet these deadlines on production and then the DPA maybe being invoked, it's all abstract because we don't know actually which raw material is in shortage. We know that there's like certain things it probably is. Uh, but we, we we have no idea like what that actually like what Pfizer needs that they can't get enough of. Interesting. Kate, I was I was hoping to uh, turn back to you on the on the political angle a little bit too. Um, you know, Josh Marshall had mentioned Vivek Murthy's comments over the weekend that it could be you know as late as the fall for the kind of general population to start getting vaccinated. That puts it what like a year out from I guess the twenty twenty two midterms. I mean. Um, do you have a sense that Republicans are ready to start kind of hammering that as a way to, I don't know, try to win a majority in the House or, I don't know, pick up Senate seats or anything like that? Or is it a bit too far in the future to, I don't know, game out, I don't know, how they might try to take advantage of, I don't know, any political advantage of, you know, just vaccine delays or just not even delays, but just the time it takes to, you know, start to vaccinate 330 million people? Yeah, I'm sure we'll start to see that. Um, and as you mentioned, the, you know, those midterms are going to be much more competitive than we ever thought they would be before November, just because now it looks like the House will be, um, you know, actually on the line. And that being said, we don't even we don't even know what's happened with the Senate really yet. So, um, yeah, no, I think that's a good a good guess for how this is going to go. The politics of this are also just so murky right now because we're in this weird kind of last gasp of the Trump administration. And as Josh and I kind of discovered while doing this reporting, the Biden administ- or the Biden transition team uh, is not being super chatty about these issues. Um, and on the one hand, you can kind of understand, you know, it doesn't really behoove them to be like necessarily, you know, with no subtlety, this is going to be a disaster and it's not our fault, you know. And because you also then have the the competing demands of, you know, you're trying to get people to want the vaccine. And if you're, what you're serving up to people is, it's going to be a nightmare. It's going to take forever for you to get it. Like, don't even worry about it. You know, that all just goes <laughs> to the point of dampening the response. Um, yeah. So there's so many kind of mixed political imperatives right now, not least of which is that the Biden and his transition are still trying to codify Trump to the extent that Trump still has any power. And I think the power that they see him having is not that, you know, whipping up a vaccination plan in these last, you know, in whatever water breaks he takes on the golf course, but that he is a god to a good sector of our electorate, you know, and that these people, if he says don't get the vaccine, they're just not going to. So he still has power as a I don't know, an, an influencer, I guess, at this point, which is why when Biden got his shot the other day, you know, he, he said, you know, Trump deserves a lot of credit here, you know, right into the microphone. So subtle. Yeah. Yeah. So there is still this kind of we we really haven't seen that pivot from Republicans yet, of course, because the Biden administration hasn't taken over. Um, and because there's still this attempt from both sides to kind of get Trump on board, you know, get him to help with the vaccine as much as possible um, before he leaves. But yeah, that's kind of what the thrust of Josh and my reporting has been. It's just, you know, this pivot is inevitable. Same way the pivot of Republicans suddenly caring about debt again, you know, we're, we're there. Um, and it's just a matter of, you know, are, are Democrats kind of ready for this? Are they politically poised? Are they, you know, softening the ground for the shift um, and just not kind of letting that bad faith argument in any way torpedo the political capital of the Biden administration and, and saddle them with a pandemic response, which has been, you know, the, the bungling of which has been a hallmark of the Trump administration. You know, I'll, I'll say one thing uh, before you guys' time, but in 2000, right, and, I, and I'm trying to remember exactly where this fit in the timeline, I think it was basically once the, the recount was settled, the incoming Bush team, immediate, and especially Dick Cheney, and Democrats were furious about this, they started saying, oh, 
economy's looking not looking good, looking like a recession, not looking good. We're, now that we've seen what they left us with, this thing's going to nosedive. Uh, just be ready to be out of work pretty soon. And Democrats, I think understandably, were like, you guys are talking down the economy to sort of like, you know, you want it to be bad. And then you can just blame, say, oh, you know, this is the Clinton recession. And in fact, now the, the uh, Republicans at the time were saying, hey, there's some warning signs. We want to say it's your fault because it is your fault. We don't want to take the hit for this. So we can kind of put into the you know perspective of, of 20 years who's the, the right and wrongs. But they definitely did that with a gusto. And I think there's actually a legit there, – there's probably a, a significant degree where they helped accelerate the what what ended up being the recession that was tied to the dot com bust and every everything like that, um, but so you know they, they didn't they didn't sweat it right they were <laughs> they were fine saying like oh yeah it's bad it's and I remember it was and it was so it, again it was so surreal because um, even though there's some logic when you're coming in to sort of you know to sort of inoculate yourself as it were um, for whatever bad things are going to happen. It was still kind of weird to see the person who was, in essence, already the president and vice president saying like, oh, yeah, markets are looking pretty jittery. If you have uh, if you want to stop spending because, you know, you need to save money because you're about to be laid off, I would do it now. (laughs) I mean, it was it was weird. It was a weird thing. And it did happen. Yeah. And like Kate says, I mean, it is tricky because this is sort of the the vaccine is sort of the first ray of hope we've had in, you know, like. 10 or 11 months of this pandemic. And so you, on the one hand, you don't want to say, well, so much for that shot, you know, maybe in a couple of years you can get it and things will be normal again. But um, you also, you know, want to be realistic or give people kind of a full picture of what the situation is. So I know it's a balancing right. act, like you say, Kate. And there's also kind of the congressional piece of this, which is that the funding package that Congress just passed last night is not going to be enough money. You know, um, state budgets have just been absolutely decimated and public health on the state level is not generally super well funded to begin with. Um, And so, you know, on the one hand, you're like, okay, well, the Biden administration can kind of come in and infuse these negotiations with new blood. But on the other, you have, what's the political will going to be to pass another package when we just passed one? So that gives lawmakers the cover to say, you know, look, I helped. Um, And the other piece of it is that this was really spurred on by having to pass the funding bill. That's what kind of got the negotiations moving again after, you know, eight months of stalemate. Um, So absent those motivators, you know, it's just going to be all the more of an uphill for Biden to try to pull together the the next installment of funding, which is going to be needed. Have you guys has has uh, for for Kate and Josh has this new UK variant thing kind of come into your uh, reporting purview yet? Not so either much. of you guys. Because I I was you know there there was at least I have not been you know actively reporting on it, but I started focusing on it a lot over the weekend. And my my impression was that last week there were a lot of people in the UK and out of the UK basically saying the Johnson government is just whipping this up as a sort of an excuse for why the, the numbers are going crazy. They're saying, Oh, we didn't screw up, you know, got a new new mutation. Who could have, you know, who could have guessed? Um, and then things started to shift over the weekend and it seemed like um, whether it is significantly responsible for the caseload in the UK that it is, you know, it is new. Uh, there does seem to be significant evidence, though certainly not proof yet, that it is more contagious, which is obviously a pretty big deal. Um, and then countries in Europe and Canada started doing, you know, temporary flight bans. So everybody kind of started to panic. And I was, um, I was starting to wonder, like, dude, do not tell me this is going to screw up the vaccine. I just, I, I can't, I can't go there. I think um, there was a headline this morning, Josh, right? That um, the bio, biotech was saying that the vaccine could be sort of easily modified to kind of catch this new strain potentially. So my sense was maybe it was, you know, maybe there would be need, there would need to be some tweaks to a vaccine to kind of, um, I don't know, cover this strain, but then maybe it wasn't 
too out of reach or too big of a lift in order to do so. Yeah, I think, well, it's, what I, what I was able to find in, in, in reading up on this and talking to people over the weekend is there's really two, there's, it's not two issues, there's two time scales that we should be thinking in terms of. And uh, there's this guy, uh, Trevor Bedford, out in, out in Washington State, who, for, you know, for people who, who read our stuff online, you know, he was the guy who first kind of figured out about the cryptic spread of the disease in Washington State back in February and, you know, January and February. So a very knowledgeable guy. And um, a few days ago, he had basically... There is a growing body of evidence that COVID is turning out to be a little more like the flu and a little less like the measles in the sense that it's, it's, it's fairly protean. It, it does evolve in a way that, that does, you know, it's, it's more of a moving target. You know, measles, it's basically in terms of your contagiousness, it's, it's, it's the same measles it was 50 years ago. Same vaccine, whatever. Obviously, we know about how flu kind of changes over time. It does seem like COVID is a little more like that. And so at the same time, what we know about this mutation in the UK is at most it might have a marginal impact on the effectiveness of these vaccines. It's not going to make it not effective. I mean, I don't want to speak like definitively, but there is a very strong consensus that it's not going to make this vaccine not work. That's just not going to happen. It's not that's that's a misunderstanding of the how the vaccine works, the nature of the mutations, blah 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 blah. But but it does seem like COVID is is there's a good chance it will be the kind of infection, the kind of disease that we will have to be updating the vaccine over time, and that it's possible that. It might be the kind of thing you might need a booster every couple of years or something like that. So in the medium term, it's a real issue. Um, but that there's the best I can sort of uh, uh, you know summarize the 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 expert knowledge out there is you really don't have to worry that this is going to make the shot you get not effective. That's just not going to happen. Um, one interesting sort of kind of addition there, and, and it shows you sort of the, all the fascinating complexities of how these things work, is that for the shot you get when you get it, it is highly unlikely that it will be any less effective for this variant that is out there. And if it is, marginally, tiny, tiny, tiny differences on the margin at most. However, so that's for you, but at the population level, it could end up being significant because if, you know, th there's been a lot of different theories about this, but let's say to get to robust herd immunity, you need 70% of people to be vaccinated or have immunity from when they got COVID. Okay, so let's put 70 out there. That 70 is based both on the efficacy of the actual vaccine and the transmissibility of the disease. So, if this new variant is more transmissible, it could shift that percentage. Maybe suddenly you need 75% of people to be vaccinated. Again, so those two things operate together. So individually, little, you know, basically no difference. The vaccine, as far as 2021 goes, going to be rock solid. But in terms of how how many people you need to get vaccinated, if it turns out that this that this new variant is more transmissible, that would logically mean it'll beat out the old guy, right? It'll become the dominant one. And so it could affect the vaccine in that sense, that you need more people to get vaccinated for the whole thing to work for the population at large. Interesting. Well, maybe that's a good place to leave it on that uh, semi-uplifting, but... Um also a little worrying note. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it kind of, you know, it's sort of like it, it, it is, it would not be terribly surprising and it would not be the end of the world if it ends up being something that gets folded into like the flu vaccine. I don't mean, I don't mean scientifically folded into it, but you can, you know, administer vaccines together. Um, that's, that's pretty standard. Um, and, you know, we get a lot of us get, you know, we all should get the flu vaccine every year. It's certainly uh, not the worst thing in the world to, to, to uh, you know, uh, 
keep the world functioning like yeah. it hasn't been for the last year. That's right. <laughs> more shot, more shots in arms. Kate's favorite phrase yeah. and image this week. <laughs> Hate it. <laughs> yeah, which I know yeah. has been triggering. But um, anyways, we will be back next week with one more episode of 2020, um, just to close things out and. My gosh, yeah, well, last episode of 2020. Yeah, last How 2020. Far we've come. Right? I mean, it's sort of, it really is kind of like a lost year. <laughs> right? I mean, sort of like an, an, an immensely consequential year, but in a way, just kind of like a lost year. Yeah. You know, for all the things that you thought you were going to be doing. I mean, obviously, uh, I, I, you know, I try to focus on just personally how, how, lucky i've been and my family's been you know i haven't gotten COVID. my family hasn't gotten COVID. we have not had uh people super near us have bad outcomes i've certainly known people who've got COVID, but they've all been pretty lucky you know gotten, kind of gotten through it obviously so many people have have lost their lives lost their loved ones all the kind of the terrible stuff uh but even even those of us who've been lucky it is kind of a lost year Right, and it, it's funny. I'll you know, <laughs> one last funny story. I'll I'll tell you guys. At the very beginning of the pandemic, my son, who's now fourteen, who was thirteen at the time, um, at, and this was like you know in the first weeks, right, very early on, my son asked you know kind of like what was it like when this happened when you were a kid, <laughs> and we're sort of like, dude, this fucking never happened when you were a kid, and it didn't happen when our parents were kids. Like this never happens, and it and and it, it does give you kind of a window into uh, childhood. And again, my 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 sons are not toddlers, right? But still, you know, early adolescence is a time when you're still getting a handle on what's normal and what's not normal, and uh, learning that something like this isn't just not normal compared to like the first dozen years of your life, it's like not normal for anybody's <laughs> lived experience of anything. Like this shit does not happen. It's crazy. Honestly, it still strikes me sometimes just like on a day-to-day -day that we're amid a pandemic. Like that is so weird. That word is so heavy and like bubonic plague feeling. That totally. Sometimes it just hits me and you're just like, I think back and I still remember... You know, because this happened, like, right after we moved to D.C., like, two weeks within it. And I still remember the novelty of seeing the first person wearing a mask and being, like, I took a picture. I was like, this is so weird. This looks like a, you know, a horror apocalyptic novel thing or something. And now it's just, you know, that is Now life. the opposite <laughs> is true, right? When you don't see someone with a mask, you're like, <laughs> right. ah, scary. And, right. you know, that's the, uh, that's the frightening image. Yeah. But, um, no, Josh, I, you want to... I, I, it, it's still weird to me, similar to what you're describing, Kate, it's still weird to me when I have these moments of like, it's so strange that it seems normal to me mm -hmm. that like we, we, you know, it's not we never leave our house, but we like don't leave our house. We don't, you know, do all the kind of the weird stuff that you do during the pandemic. And suddenly like that's, that seems normal to me. Like, oh, like, you know, I need, we need someone to, 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 uh, you know, fix the heater. Well, okay. You know, you back up, back up, right? Coming in with my with my hazmat suit, like, you know, just weird, weird, weird stuff, weird stuff. Anyway, uh, we got a lot of other stuff to do. Let me remind you that uh, the Josh Marshall podcast is brought to you by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. You can get twenty five percent off your first order at Grady's Cold Brew dot com with promo code TPM. That's Grady's Cold Brew dot com with promo code TPM. All right. So, Happy holidays, everyone. Yep. See you next week. See you. Have fun pandemicing, everybody. <laughs> All right. Bye Later. Bye. Bye. Bye.